Welcome to the Space Podcast, the hub of curiosities and visions about space, Earth and life. My name is Francesco Cirillo and I will investigate with you the connections between what we see and what we perceive. And I will be alone in this journey. Our guests will share with us their experience, thoughts and opinions. Join me to discover the beauty and complexity of our world. In this episode, we will talk with Tania Casal, Scientific Campaign Coordinator at the ESA, the European Space Agency. Brr, is, is it cold in here? It's very cold in here. Let me just close the window. But maybe this is because today we're going to talk about the Arctic environment and its importance to all of us. My first guest at the Space Podcast is Ezas Tania Casal. So Tania, welcome on board. In the first place, I'd like to ask you which are your main duties as a scientific campaign coordinator. Francesco, first, thank you very much for inviting me. I think it's really an honor to actually, this is my first podcast, so uh, uh, and I think it's really nice to, to see people engage and actually bringing space to the wider audience. So thank you very much for the invitation. My job uh, here at the European Space Agency is uh, officially a scientific campaign coordinator and my campaign have nothing to do with political campaigns, to be clear. Campaigns within ESA and Earth Observation in particular, which is the one that I'm doing, it's basically field work. So we I'm the person responsible within ESA for setting up, for organizing and managing the fieldwork campaigns that we do here for Earth observation. Our campaigns actually, as you know, uh, a satellite mission has several stages from the time where it's just a concept and idea to the time that it's launched and it's acquiring data. And our campaigns actually can be can happen during all these phases of satellite new instruments, then to the end part when the satellite is already acquiring data and we actually go in the field to obtain data and do what we call a validation because we want to compare the data that we obtain, what's the satellite doing to make sure that everything is consistent and working fine. And this job takes me to a lot of interesting places on Earth <laughs> to collect data. It seems very interesting to travel across the world, so you're very lucky. Oh yes, I know. <laughs> But why did you join the ESA? Well, for me, it was this job. I mean, I knew that uh, this job is extremely unique and I, it, it had several things that I really enjoyed because I, my background is scientific. I was a physical oceanographer. I used to go on, on ships to collect, uh, to do water measurements. I was studying currents and things like that. And uh, so by coming here, I had the opportunity to still do science, which is, uh, which is something I really wanted to do, or still be involved, firstly. But I'm still involved with the science. I also am involved in space, which is something that I really also wanted to do, and also Earth observation, because I also wanted to do something that actually could benefit Earth and the environment. I think what we do here does that as well, so that was my main Motivations. Wow, that's great. So, Tanya, you are involved into the multidisciplinary drifting observatory for the study of Arctic climate, just simply the Mosaic Expedition, which is led by the Alfred Wegener Institute, the German Center for Polar and Marine Research. Can you give us more details about this mission and which is the ESA's role in such initiative, which, let me say this for the benefit of our audience, is a one-year-long expedition into the Central Arctic, the largest Arctic mission in the human history? 
history with more than 600 people involved in it. Mosaic is an amazing expedition. I mean, it's extremely unique. The concept itself is not unique. So basically, Mosaic consists of uh, drifting. They, they freeze their, their research vessel called the Polar Stern into the sea ice in the Arctic and then they let it drift during one whole year. And during this drift, they will perform measurements on everything scientific you can possibly think of, from atmosphere to ocean, sea ice, snow, biogeochemical cycles. So it's that's the uniqueness of Mosaic is the scale. There's more than 600 people will be on board at one given time. Well, not all at the same time, obviously, but throughout the year, making them these measurements and the quantity and the type of data we're going to have. And together with the continuity, because it's, as you know, it's not easy, especially in the winter when it's dark all the time. It's, it's very rare to have any measurements whatsoever in the area. But just for my understanding, is Mosaic the first of its kind, the first expedition of its kind? Or we had in the past similar ones. The concept of freezing a ship in the ice, it's not new. It was already, it's actually based on the Friedhof Nansen's uh, Norwegian explorer that in the 1800s he, want, he did the same thing because he wanted to reach the North Pole. But he thought he could actually reach it with a boat. But after 18 months he got so tired of waiting for the boat to reach there and realized that he wouldn't do it. So he decided to go on foot with one of his uh, mates and and, uh, and they managed to, they never reached the pole, but at the time they did break the record as the furthest north excursion at the time. But, uh, and they ended up coming back and the survived, which was a big thing. Also then in the, in the 90s, there was a, an American-led expedition similar to this one called Shiva. And also this expedition was the same concept, but it was smaller scale. It was not as big as, as Mosaic is. And then also the Norwegians in 2015 had the same kind of the concept. So they released their, their icebreaker also, but from only from January to June 2015. So Mosaic in that sense, the concept is not new, but what's really happening now is it's completely groundbreaking. And uh, I don't think we'll have anything like this for the next 20 years for sure. Because the, the investment, not only financial, but also uh, scientific, is quite, it is quite an undertaking. But Tanya, let me ask you why the agency decided to join this expedition. Obviously, so we were made aware by the scientific community of this expedition. And of course, we do acknowledge and realize that it's so unique and, and uh, that we as easy should not lose an opportunity to actually participate. And the way we decided to participate was, so we have currently a cryospheric mission called Cryosat 2, which is uh, going on for like, you know, the last 10 years now. And we have in preparation for the future together with the European Union, also new polar missions called Simmer and also called Crystal. And these, all these missions require data because we need to, there are still many things to be, to be, uh, to be studied and analyzed in relation to uh, the ongoing one and the future ones. So we also realized that the kind of data we could acquire during Mosaic would be extremely beneficial for these missions. So we sent instruments that are on the ice flow that where they're making measurements and also on the ship making measurements. And we also uh, are funding flights we also are planning in the spring flights that we will overfly the ship and the measurements they are doing on the ground as well. So it's quite uh, also a side uh, an investment, which we think it's uh, it's it's a very good one. That's really, 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 really incredible. To be honest, I can't imagine the challenges you and your colleagues faced during the Arctic stay in one of the most harsh environments of our planet. So how was your experience and how did this change you? 
I don't think that anybody is the same after going to the Arctic. And also I've been very fortunate and very privileged to actually be in Antarctica as well once, which was also an experience of a lifetime. I, I think once you've been in an area like this, first you feel extremely small, given the grand the grandness of everything you see and everything is so pristine. At the same time, extremely fragile. For me, it's like a whole new world open to me. I knew that it existed, but until you really are there, you just, you cannot really experience feeling. So to me, I feel really very privileged that uh, thanks to this work that taken me to these places where otherwise I would have never gone. I totally recommend anybody, if they have a chance to go to Greenland or Antarctica, that they take it because uh, they will never be the same afterwards. <laughs> According to the UN Climate Action Summit report, the five-year period from 2014 to 2019 is the warmest on record, where the sea level rise has accelerated significantly and the carbon dioxide emissions have hit new highs. In such a context, the Arctic is warming twice as fast as the global average. So can you give us, Tanya, more light about the connection between the Arctic environment and the Earth state of play? The Arctic and as well as the Antarctic in a, in a different area, but still, there are key regions. To me, there are key regions because from there you can also, uh, once the Arctic and the Antarctic starts changing dramatically, they should raise a, a huge red flag to us that we need to do something. As you know, the Arctic is covered in ice and snow. And when you have surface covered in ice and snow, you know that it reflects a lot of the solar radiation back, which means that it doesn't warm up. And that's why we have it uh, cool. But once this ice starts melting away and we have no ice anymore, very thin ice, uh, not only if it's thin ice, it starts melting much faster and once you have water or ground it starts warming up faster and this gives rise to a negative feedback loop whereas if you become it, it becomes warmer it melts more ice and so on but let me interrupt you the impression is that many people think that what happens there in the far north or in the far south is far from us and does not affect lives is it correct Earth is a closed system. Whatever happens in the Arctic sooner or later will have implications where we are. In the Arctic, you have uh, the production of deep water currents. You have uh, it will change atmospheric circulation. I mean, the, the implications are global. So if the Arctic starts changing dramatically as it is now, and we are already feeling, uh, I know this is my personal opinion, be clear that we are already feeling the consequences of climate change. This will have worldwide consequences. People have to really be aware of this, that just because it seems now that it's far away, it will affect us, and it is already affecting us. I mean, just if you think of Antarctica, for instance, Antarctica, the average uh, ice sheet depth is around two kilometers of ice. If all of that melts, you can imagine that in terms of sea level rise, there will be a huge effect. So we really need to be aware that just because we're not feeling it exactly at our door, it seems that it's cold now in the winter, that uh, the Arctic and the Antarctic really are key regions to, to, that indicate to us that uh, if they are changing drastically, that something needs to be done to prevent this from happening. So why such projects like the Mosaic are so important to all of us? How through such initiatives we or the political representatives of our countries can change the actual course of action? Mosaic is extremely important for this as well because Mosaic first, it will collect an unprecedented amount of data during a whole year that will feed into our global climate models. Ultimately, it's the whole, the ultimate goal. I mean, there's of course, if you look in details, there's much more to be done. But ultimately, these data sets can feed into global climate models and they can even help improve. I mean, they're already doing 
quite well, as you know, and you know, you've seen the forecast. But this data set, the fact that it's so unprecedented, will really help refine these climate models and in turn refine also the climate forecast, which for us are extremely important. In terms of taking action, political, I mean, as scientists, you know, we're trying, we've been saying since the 80s that something needs to be done, that things are changing and, and you see it more now than ever. You've seen now this amazing young woman and a lot of young people who are behind her as well. She keeps saying, indeed, there is a climate emergency. And okay, again, this is my personal opinion. This is not Issa general. I truly believe that she's absolutely right, so I'm talking about Greta Thunberg, everybody's talking about her. She's right when we have a climate emergency and something needs to be done, and that I truly believe that any real real science, uh, climatology scientist will never disagree with her. And things like mosaic, which for instance, the situation right now in mosaic, it is abnormal because, you know, the Arctic this year underwent an extremely large uh, and unusual amount of melting. Of course, they, they right now they are struggling with the So they, they had set up their ice floe where they're drifting. Everything is breaking apart. Everything is slushy. Everything, the, the snow is it's just, everything is a mess. Quite frankly, I've never been in the Arctic this time of year and not a lot of people have. I don't know how characteristic, how, how traditional this is, what's happening right now. Right, but as a scientist, what is your feeling about? I have the feeling that it's more chaotic than normal due to the fact that we have a very unusual melting and it's not that cool there right now as it probably should be. But all of this to say that something is changing and we need to really make the politicians and the everyday person realize this because at the end it comes to the everyday person also to to fight for it and to say, we need change, we need to do something about it, because otherwise nothing will happen. We are always, and in my very, very personal opinion, I truly believe that until we stop funding companies that nothing but profit in their minds and, and no environmental consciousness, we, it will be very hard to, to actually switch. We, we need to start funding clean energies. We need to start making clean energy affordable to the everyday person so that people start switching. Otherwise, I do. I, I am actually. I'm one of those people. I do see a future that it's not very bright for this young generation. And and at the same time, I'm very hopeful that they actually are seeing this and they are fighting for it and trying to do something to change this. But uh, it's we really need to be aware that this is happening and start doing something about it as well. Thank you very much, Tanya. It was a pleasure to have a chat with you today. Thank you so much, Francesco. And so we'll keep in touch. I guess. Absolutely, absolutely. I want to thank once more Tanya Kazal, Scientific Campaign Coordinator at the ESA for her terrific job and tremendous commitment to science and therefore to all of us. And if you'd like to comment, add another angle or suggest a new topic, please do write us at The Space Podcast. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Facebook. From me, Francesco Cirillo, that's all. Thank you, goodbye and enjoy your space. Thank you.